Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of the Live It Well podcast. We are your hosts, Chris and Jenny Gravy. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. We are so glad that you're here with us. Each week, we invite authors, mentors, friends of ours who have an inspiring message, who are living their life well. And so our goal is to learn and grow, and we want to invite you to do the exact same thing with us. So hope you're ready. Let's dive right in. On today's episode, we're talking with best-selling author, speaker, and founder of Messenger International, John Bevere, about multiplying our potential, about what it means to live a life poured out completely. Yeah, this was a really great conversation. You know, John's going to share some really big nuggets of wisdom. Uh, Some of the things he shares is what true faithfulness looks like according to God's word, practical ways to uncover your calling, and how to faithfully live out your purpose together as a couple when we fear God, we get really intimate with him. Now you go past saying, I don't want to disobey. You're in the zone now where you're like, I don't want to hurt his heart. That's a higher level than even saying, I don't want to disobey. And that's what the fear of the Lord leads us into. Guys, go ahead, pull up a chair, join us. This is a great conversation. Listen in. All right, John, well, welcome to the show. We are so excited to have you today. Well, Chris and Jenny, it's an honor to be on with you, and I mean that sincerely, and I want to thank you for what you guys are doing. Thank you so much. We had such a blast with Lisa. We've mm-hmm. had her on twice now, yeah. and Addison, so it's nice to round out the family and have you on as well. Well, like I said, having Lisa on, you had the life of the party, so I hope you <laughs> So I'll try, I'll try to do my best to come close to Lisa Bevere. Those are big shoes to fill, for sure. Well, I mean, look. <laughs> Here's the thing. You you and your wife have impacted our family in such a big way for so many years. So thank you for being so faithful in what you guys are doing at Messenger International. It's really inspiring and it's just encouraging. It's just been amazing to see what God's done. And, and here we are today. We're talking about your 22nd book. I cannot wait to get into this. So congratulations on that. That's a really big deal. It's so crazy. It, it really is. And, and to be honest with you, when you say you've impacted our family, that's our passion. That's why we do what we do. And I didn't go into ministry because I didn't have anything else to do. I was going to Harvard. I was going to get an MBA and I was going to go into corporate America and make a lot of money. And it took me, it took the Holy Spirit a year and a half to get me to go into ministry. I'm glad I obeyed, but I didn't want to be in ministry. I didn't want anything to do with ministry. So, but now being in ministry, I remember when I wrote the first book in 1991, it was published. I remember we got a letter and this lady said, this changed my life forever. And I said, Lisa, I don't care if that's all I ever get. It made the year it took to write that book worth it. Mm -hmm. And I still feel that way. When people say my life was changed, that's the whole reason you write a book. Yeah. That's awesome. I love it. All right. Well, let's get into this book. I mean, you're talking about multiplying our potential, right? Our potential that God's given us. How do we tap into that? How do we grow that? So, and really in our calling, really understanding our calling and stepping into that fully. So let's first start with, we really, I think it's great to ask the author, what is your calling and how did you discover that along the way? Okay. Let me, let me, let me just give you a statement that a lot of us hear. If you hear this statement, he has a call on his life or she has a call on her life. Where does your mind go? Let's just be blunt and honest. Where do you think? Some kind of impact. Yeah, some kind of ministry. They got a calling on their life. Yeah. Yeah. So most people, you guys are a little bit more well-read and studied. (laughs) You know where most people think when you say he's got a calling on his life? They think he's going to go to the mission field. He's going to be a pastor. He's going to be a worship leader. She's going to be an author that ministers through books. That 
is something that is devastatingly damaging to about over 90% of the body of Christ. So the problem we have is that people see people that are in front of people as having callings. That's not true. Every single human being has a call of God upon their life that was designed by God. And so multiplication, I open up the book with this partner of ours, as you know, Messenger International, where we've sold a lot of books in the millions and millions. However, our real passion is 10 years ago, I was in my basement and the Holy Spirit spoke to me. I remember Lisa was in England at a conference and the Spirit of God filled our basement after a round of golf of all things. And he said, you've been faithful with the English speaking community. I want you to get your, your resources into the hands of every pastor and leader in the world that can't afford them. Well, I mean, that seemed like an impossibility to me, right? I knew better than to say that's impossible because, you know, John the Baptist's dad got struck dumb for nine months for saying that. So I thought, okay. So, but by the grace of God in the last 10 years, we've been able to give away over 41 million resources to pastors and leaders in 226 nations of the world in 111 languages. That's all but 14 nations. We've only got 14 left. And now we're developing an app that, you know, it's a $2 million app. It's We actually went one of the best app companies in the United States. They've done Lush L'Oreal. They've done Royal Caribbean, all these ones. Well, the CEO had been reading our books for years. When they found out about it, they said, we want this account. Well, now it's going to launch in December next month. And it, it literally, a pastor in Iran, because we put a million and a half resources in Farsi into the nation of Iran. Okay, so a pastor in an underground church in Iran can take his iPhone now and with one punch of a button send Beta Satan to every person in his underground church, both the study, the audio book, or I should say all three, the study, the audio book, and the reading book on the Android or the iPhone. So one of our partners who has given significantly towards this saw I was preaching in Los Angeles and he took me out to play golf. On the way back from the golf course, he got a little vulnerable with me and he said, John, I have worked really hard to build my businesses up to where I'm worth now $9 million. My wife's cared for life, my children are cared for life. He said, why should I bust my butt and build my net worth up to 35 million over the next 10 years? And I went, oh wow, I need to answer this question. Okay, Stan. I said, Stan, let me let me say this. I said, I've written at that time, it was six, 17 books. I said, I've gotten on planes. I've traveled to six over 60 countries. I've fought cultures, eaten strange foods, lived in little tiny hotel rooms for 200 nights a year for 30 years. I said, why should I get on another plane? Why should I read another or write another book? And he laughed at me, guys. Guys, he laughed at me, okay? And you know what he said when he laughed? He said, I wouldn't want to be in your shoes when you face Jesus. And I said, you just said the exact same words as I did. And I remember his little smirk left his face. We're in downtown LA, and he turns to me with this look of horror, and he says, what do you mean I just said the same thing? I said, Stan, here's the deal. Every person has a calling on their life, and God has given us unique supernatural gifts to accomplish those callings. I said, mine are obvious to you, preaching, writing, 
So you have connected my dots. The problem is you haven't connected your dots. And I said, Stan, you can do one of three things at any given time with the gifts that God's placed on your life. You can use them to build yourselves and your family. You can use them to build the kingdom as he intended, or you can sit on them. Well, that really shook him in a good way. And I wrote this book because if you look at the word grace, grace in most Christians' eyes in America, and, and this is not just, this is not me being an evangelist pulling a number out of an air, okay? This actually was a poll, there was a poll done. 98% of the Christians in America believe that grace is a gift, believe that grace forgives our sins, believes that grace saves us, and believes grace is the love of God. But only 2% of the Christians in America believe that grace is God's empowerment. So what a lot of people don't understand is the word charis, grace, in the New Testament is actually defined as God's empowerment that gives us the ability to do what we can't do in our own ability. See, we have natural abilities and we have grace. Grace supersedes natural abilities. If you look at God, he says to the Apostle Paul, my grace is sufficient for you for my power. God refers to his grace as his power, right? Paul said, I was able to do more labor than all the other apostles, but it wasn't me. It was the grace of God in me. It was the grace of God empowering to go beyond all the other apostles. Are you, are you following me? Mm -hmm. Now, there's a reason I'm saying all this. Romans 5 verse 2 says that we have access to the grace of God through faith. In other words, we have no access to grace's empowerment if we don't believe. So if 98% of the Christians in America don't know that grace is God's empowerment, that means 98% of the Christians in America are trying to serve God in their own ability. You will be miserable if you try to serve God in your own ability. And I'm going to go one step further. You'll fall short at the judgment seat when Jesus hands out rewards. How do I know that? The reason I know that is because God made our callings beyond our natural ability. Now, how do I know that? Because God said, I won't share my glory with anyone. So if God made our calling so that we can accomplish him in our own ability, then he'd have to share the glory with us. And God says, I'm not sharing my glory with anyone. So God on purpose made our callings, each of our callings, beyond our natural abilities. Why? So we'd have to depend on grace to accomplish it. Now, if you take the Greek word grace, charis, K. C-H-A-R-I-S, and you put an M and an A on it, what do you get? Charisma. What is charisma? It's the specific gift of grace that's on my life to do what I'm called to do. For me, it would be writing and speaking. Now, <clears throat> I told you this at the beginning before we even started the podcast. My worst subjects in high school was English and creative writing. Okay, It would take me four hours to write a two-page paper. I remember I scored 370 on the SAT in English. In all my travels in the United States for 30 years, I've only met one human being that scored lower than me on English in the SAT. But when God spoke to me in 1991 and said, son, I want you to write, an ability came on me, a supernatural ability to write. That's why I tell people all the time, my name's on that book because I was the first guy to get to read it. I believe with all my heart that wasn't my ability. That was the charisma. So here's the whole reason I wrote the book. It's the most heartbreaking true story. I have a really close friend. He pastors a church of about 40,000 people. And he does a big conference every year where leaders come from all over the United States. And there's a very well-known medical doctor in a city that attends his church. 
And my friend was walking through their very large sanctuary and he saw that medical doctor putting pamphlets on the chairs for the delegates of the conference. And my pastor friend ran over and said, doctor, doctor, no, you don't need to do this. We have volunteers and, and we have interns that will do this. And he said, the doctor rebuked me in a very respectful and loving way. He said, pastor, I take one week off of my practice every year so that I can build the kingdom of God. He said, please don't take this away from me. I want to do this. Guys, I have cried enough over this one. I cried yesterday on a podcast talking about this story because I look at that doctor and 51 out of 52 weeks of the year, he's in the quote, secular realm. And one week a year, he gets to do the sacred. This means that 51 weeks of the year, he's not doing his passion. He's doing what he thinks he's good at and what he was trained to do, but he doesn't see himself as building the kingdom. Because what we've done is we've separated the secular from the sacred. For most people right now, listening to your podcast is sacred. Going to a 90-minute church service, that's sacred. Listening to a worship CD, that's sacred. But everything else I do is secular. That is absolutely not true. God has called and gifted each of us uniquely to go into these realms of life. So that means if that doctor has been supernaturally gifted by God to be in that realm of, of medicine, if he understands that, number one, he's going to go beyond his natural ability because now he's going to have faith for it. Number two, he's going to have the same passion that Mother Teresa had, that Billy Graham had. And this is why so many people in the body of Christ, they don't have passion. The reason they don't have passion is because they see themselves earning a living. They're working their job. They're doing their vocation instead of that being the sacred in which they are passionate. And so that's what the hope is, is to get people to understand the call of God on our life is to understand the supernatural gifts on our life and that we're called to multiply them, which I haven't even begun to talk about yet. <laughs> John, I want to get really practical. Let's no doubt somebody's listening going, okay, that's that's easy for you. You know, you're a great speaker, communicator. How does somebody practically start to uncover their gifts and their abilities and the call that God has on their life? Okay, so first of all, those gifts can be dormant. I mean, God can put a gift in my life to write books to millions of people, but it's not operating. Hmm. And and let me tell you what most people think. If I'm godly, if I'm living my life godly and I'm obedient, the gift will automatically work. Not true. One of the most godly people in the entire New Testament was Timothy. Paul bragged about him to an entire church, the Philippian church. Yet Paul writes to him in the first letter and says, your gift is an operative. Your God-given gift is not working. So if being godly stirs up the gift, then Timothy would have had it stirred up to the max. And then Paul has to write in the second letter and said, Timothy, that gift is still not operating. Stir it up. So that's the first thing you got to understand is you can have that charisma in your life and it's not working. OK, mm -hmm. second, how do we discover those gifts? Well, if I wasn't spending time with God in prayer, I never would have known to write. If I didn't know to write, why would I ever try to write? when my English teachers only passed me so they wouldn't have to put up with me another year. <laughs> so you have to be sensitive. Some gifts are given to us at birth. Okay, if you look at Akiana, 
she painted, look right behind me, there's the, the Prince of Peace. She's eight years old and she paints it. She's got that almost from birth, right? right. Other people, okay, look, look at John the Baptist. He recognized the Messiah when he was in his mother's womb. 30 years later, he was the first person to recognize the Messiah. That gift worked in the mother's womb. It worked later. But if you look at King Saul, he couldn't prophesy as a young man. But Samuel said to him, you're going to come into a group of prophets, and now you're going to begin to prophesy. And he did. He started prophesying the rest of his life. If you look at me, it's proof. I couldn't write. When I was in school, I couldn't write. But when God spoke to me, that gift was imparted. So some gifts we are given right from birth. Other gifts come when God speaks to us. But the way we recognize them, Jenny, is that we have a heart that's sensitive to his word. So if we're not listening to his word, I mean, I would never have gone into ministry. I told you guys right at the beginning, I didn't want anything to do with ministry. So my my speaking face-to-face to hundreds of thousands, maybe no, probably millions of people now over the last 30 years, never would have happened had I not been sensitive. So that's the number one thing we got to do. Number two, what we have to do is we have to then begin to engage, and we engage by believing and by acting. And that is so important. Okay, let's talk about, you talk in the book about kind of two major hindrances to multiplication and how that can be averted in our life. Can you unpack those for us, please? Sure. First of all, how do we multiply? If you Multiplication is a part of us being faithful. If you look at the parable of the talents, Jesus is basically talking about our gifts. And, you know, one guy's got five, one guy's got two, one guy's got one. And the guys that were faithful multiplied what was given to him. The guy that maintained was called wicked and lazy. Mm-hmm. Why did he maintain that gift? Because he looked at he looked at his master and said, I perceive you to be a hard man. Now, the number one hindrance to us not reproducing our gifts, multiplying our gifts on our life, is a misperception of the character of God. Mm-hmm. If we see God as hard, as mean, as watching for us to fail— we are going to be paralyzed. And that's what causes the gift of God to go dormant in us. It's like a basketball coach I had one time. If I made shots, it was fine. But when I missed shots, he was so critical, I started missing more shots. And so I remember I had another basketball coach. He loved my outside shooting. And if I missed, he just said, keep going. I believe in you. So the one I perceived as being hard, I didn't I wasn't able to hit the shots. And I'm going to tell you something. I still hit shots. I mean, my boys go out and play with me now. We have a rim here at my house. And I, they know the way I beat them is hit, hit it from the outside because I've always had a, a good shot. But that good shot went dormant when I perceived my coach being critical of me. Okay? So that guy had a misconception of his master. And there are so many in the body of Christ. If you really, you know, if you really get down to it, they have a filter on God the Father. Because they don't spend time with him, they filter God the Father through their own father or through a teacher or through a pastor who was harsh, mean, didn't believe the best in him. And so they're constantly fighting that filter. So that guy didn't reproduce because he saw God as being a critical, hard man. The second thing he said is he said, I was afraid. Intimidation will literally cause the gift of God in our life to go dormant. Intimidation is not a mental weakness. It's actually a spirit. God's not given us a spirit of fear, 
That actual word is timidity in the Greek or intimidation. So what Paul is saying to Timothy is your gift is dormant because you've got a spirit of intimidation. Intimidation will literally cause our gifts. And I write about this in I think one or two chapters in the book. Literally, you've got this prophet, Elijah. He confronts the nation, the king. He confronts the false prophets. But Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you. And he runs for his life. And God says, I got to replace him because his gift has gone dormant. And this is why Paul had to write and write and write to Timothy. Both times he wrote to him and said, hey, you're intimidated. The gift of God is not working in you. Stir it up because God's not giving you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. That produces a boldness. Belief produces boldness. Remember, Two key elements are faith and love. When we know God loves us and is for us, it produces a faith that will stand up to mountains and command them to be removed. This is the thing, you know, there's been times when people on our team have shivered when I said, we're going to give away 6 million resources this year, right? <laughs> my, my wife described it as tasting throw up in her mouth. But guys, <laughs> but guys I knew God was for this. I knew he loved us. I knew he was for us, and I knew he would give us the finances to do it, and he did, and it did. You know what? It. Do you know that it didn't even come through our normal channels? It was a guy who heard it through the grapevine and wrote a check for $300,000 that first year. So faith causes your gifts to operate, and I remember my team. You know, They were all arguing with me. We can't give away 250,000 books. That's why don't we just go, you know, just do it? Because we had given 33000 the year before. And I, they said, why don't we just go to 100000 I said, no, no, we're going to give 250000 And I remember when that guy, who we didn't even send a letter to, gave the $300,000 check. My team was, same team was on the phone laughing, going, if you tell us to give a million books away, we'll do it. Well, now we're giving away six to eight million a year resources, and we're not batting an eye. That never would happen unless the faith, first of all, knowing God is for us. Secondly, knowing this is building his kingdom and he told me to do it. Mm -hmm. So let's do it. And that's kind of the attitude we carry into life. And this is why, you know, it was really interesting. Every step of the way I've watched God, because Jesus makes a statement on a parable. He says, to him who has, more will be given and he will have an abundance. Who is he who has in that parable? The person who multiplied. First guy had five. He multiplied and ended up with 10. And he said to the late, he said, take the one from the lazy guy and give it to the one with 10. That means he ends up with 11. And then he says to him who has more will be given. Why does God give more and more responsibility to people? Because they're faithful with what they already have. And a lot of times faithfulness is, means being faithful to raise my kids when I'm a single mom at home. And if I look at Lisa, Lisa is literally impacting millions of, of people, right? But she told God, she said, you made me a mom. I cannot accept these invitations. I'm going to raise my children. And, you know, God bless that. She did that with confidence because she knew she was doing what she was called to do. There's a confidence that comes in us when we are in what we're called to do. And the thing that's so sad is we make it so complex. Oh, I'm going to miss God. I don't know if I'm going to be hearing from God. So we get paralyzed with fear instead of realizing God is a pretty tar hard target to miss. He's huge. Okay. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. God is saying, oh, I'm going to watch you make mistakes and then I'm going to judge you for it. He's not 
doing that? That's ridiculous when you say it out loud. That's the way some people are. And so we filter God through those people and we perceive them to be hard. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I'm preaching right now. Well, it comes back to the grace thing you're talking yeah, about, right? Yeah. And it all wraps into that. When we're trying to meet our potential, um, can you talk about the role that character plays in this? Because I know we've talked about before, you know, like there can be so much of an emphasis on what we're doing for God that we forget that he's growing us into somebody with character as well. What role does that play in calling as well? Who we're becoming, not just what we're doing for God. See the house I'm in right now? It's, yes. it's, it's, you know, this is the room I'm in. Mm-hmm. There's a foundation down here. Mm-hmm. And if that foundation down there wasn't here, this whole thing would crumble right. on the last storm we had. Right. Okay. What is character? The foundation. So here's the deal. The gifts will work if you've got no character. That's why we're seeing people build 5,000 member churches and then they do something, jump in bed with a girl or this. They didn't have the foundation. So there's two, there's two things that, that are very important to God. And it's really interesting. Jesus has placed his character in us and it's up to us to work it out. Mm-hmm. Correct? Right. We do that through holy fear, through love. That means that we pursue the character, desire intensely the gifts. So that's what the Bible says. Pursue the character, desire the gifts. Because why? If I don't have this foundation, this may last a little while, but the next big storm that comes, this is all closing in on me and everybody that's in here is coming down with it. Mm -hmm. So I can sit there and I can have 15,000 people. But because I haven't developed the character, I take a gun and blow my head off. What happened? I put my work above building the character. All right. So now I have just collapsed with 15,000 people in my room because my foundation wasn't solid. So is character important? You will notice in every book that I've written, that is the number one thing I talk about. However, Jesus said, John 4, 24, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Now, I've been walking with Jesus over 40 years. Almost every time I, I see a backslidden person, one, there's, usually, there's usually one reason. It's not always, but this is the majority of the times. They weren't engaged in their calling. So they had no food, no nourishment. So you can't say either or. It's both. I could build a foundation, but if I don't have this house built, I'm going to get rained on. I'm going to get snowed on. I'm going to have no protection. But I can't build this house and not have a foundation because it's going to fall on top of me. And unfortunately, see, you're picking up on something really important by saying this, Jenny. We have been so passionate about doing something that we've neglected that foundation. And that's something that in this book I made sure I said, you know, in every book, you're going to find me talking about the fear of the Lord and you're going to find it in here. okay? because the fear of the Lord is our foundation. If you look at if you look at the, you know, Solomon, Solomon builds this massive kingdom and then he goes crazy and he writes the book. Ecclesiastes goes around, comes around. Life is vain. All this. Right. Right. Yeah. But at the end of his life, he comes to the conclusion. He said in chapter 12, he said, this is the conclusion of life. Fear God and keep his commandments. So the fear of God is not to be scared of God. 
the fear of God is to be terrified of being away from God. Mm-hmm. You are so in love with him that the thought of disobeying him breaks your heart. That's the fear of the Lord. That is the foundation of character. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowing God intimately. Proverbs 1-7, right? You can't love who you don't know. I loved Kobe Bryant. I even grieve for Kobe Bryant. But if Kobe Bryant saw me on the street, he wouldn't have known who I was. I knew about him, but I didn't know him intimately. When we fear God, that's the beginning of knowing him intimately. And when you know him intimately, you don't want to break his heart. If I did something that upset Kobe, it wouldn't matter much to me. But if I did something that upset Lisa, it would break my heart. So when we fear God, we get really intimate with him. Now you go past saying, I don't want to disobey. You're in the zone now where you're like, I don't want to hurt his heart. That's a higher level than even saying, I don't want to disobey. And that's what the fear of the Lord leads us into. Yeah, it's so good. All right, well, you know, obviously you you have a fiery wife that you've been married to for a long time. <laughs> I, I've, I've got another beautiful bride sitting right here next to me, you know. But So let's talk to those who are listening right now. You know, there's this whole idea, you know, obviously God has put a gifts and talents in the individual, but, you know, two become one. How do you navigate in a union and a marriage? You know, we're 16 years in, five kids deep. I know, you, you know, you've got kids and grandkids and the whole, the whole thing in your life. So uh, how does one, how does a couple navigate the calling and stepping into that? Together. Together. Yeah. First off, we, we've, listen, she's Sicilian, I'm Italian. And I'm more Italian than she is Sicilian. So you can imagine the intense fellowship that we have had. You can imagine the fights that we have had. But what we learned early on is this. We fight for the relationship. We don't fight each other. Okay? We don't attack each other's character. We fight for the relationship. So the other thing is I try to be her biggest cheerleader. I want Lisa. Well, I actually have three major goals. Number one, of course, deals with the Lord. But let let me talk to you about my two major, my two highest marriage goals. Number one, when Lisa leaves this earth, I want her to love me more the day she leaves this earth than the day she married me. My number two goal is the day I leave this earth. I want to love her more than the day I married her. Now, what does that mean if we run into into problems? It's not a wall. It's a speed bump. Sometimes people say it's a wall and they fight and they fight and they fight. And now we end the marriage and let's get rid of the wall. That goal is before me. And Jesus, nothing will keep me from that goal. Right. Right. I'm going to hit that goal. She will love me more than the day I married her. Right. That's my goal. So if I run into a real, real, and believe me, we've had some big impasses, right? Mm -hmm. Speed bump. You know, we've been married 38 years, right? Can I tell you, we had some really tough marriages. We wrote a book on marriage just because we wanted people to know how much we fought and how much we disagreed and how much we really didn't like each other at the time. But I look back today and those almost seem non-existent. We learned from them. But we're we're very if, if she was sitting right next to me today, she would say, I love this man more than the day I married him. Yet in those times, you you would have thought you never would have heard that. I find people give up on marriage too easily. Sure. Absolutely. 
That's so great. Well, we're coming to a close. I, I want to, you guys seem to do a really good job at supporting each other's calling and kind of, you know, encouraging and pulling that out of each other. What are some practical ways couples can do that for each other and be on the lookout for those giftings and callings they see in each other? I mean, you, you make it your point to, to whatever you need to do to help your spouse be successful, you do it. So that means if I have to sacrifice to see my wife fulfilled in her calling, I'll, I'll do it now. Now, I wasn't always like that. I was taught, oh, the man, he's the, he's the breadwinner. He's the guy. Hey, listen, I even had board members that said to me, hey, you let your wife, you let your wife loose like this and just her start traveling? you're going to be sorry. And I had to make up my mind. Do I really believe in the call of God on my, on my wife? And I had to say, you know, he's speaking out of tradition. He's speaking out of poor experience. I got to, I got to not listen to that. And I didn't listen to it. And I kept pushing. I, I, I remember when Lisa was, was starting, you know, I had already been traveling a lot and I'd say, you got to have Lisa, you got to have Lisa. I mean, Lisa would say to me, John, you know, I'm, I'm going to be, you know, she's done, I think, six Color Your Worlds down in Hillsong in Australia. That's not easy because when you say yes to Bobby Houston, you do a you do a Color Your World. That's uh, it means in essence, you're saying bye to your wife for a month this year. Mm -hmm. And I would rather her build those women's lives than have the, you know, the selfish attitude of I'm not going to have my wife gone for a month. Could I go with her? Yes. But I feel like that if I go with her, number one, I'm going to be in the way. And number two, I've got a lot going on that I've got to do here. I've got conferences that I got to go speak to. So you just kind of say whatever God's called me to do, there's grace to do it. And yeah. you just with it. Yeah. That's great. That's so good. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. We like to wrap up every episode with these three questions. It goes a little like this. The first one is, what's a book that's impacted your life and your journey? Probably The Pursuit of God, A.W. To Tozier would be one. Another one would be Holiness, Truth, and the Presence of God by Francis Fran Japan. Mm -hmm. Nice. Nice. Okay, the second one is, uh, what's a habit that's changed your life? <laughs> <laughs> that got a big smile and a laugh <laughs> that, that you can another, share. That's, that's another hour. Um, <laughs> it's, it's eating clean. Okay. Nice. Eating clean and going to the gym on a regular basis. Was there a moment that that shifted for you? Or yeah, have you always my, been good at it? But I'm actually doing a whole course with that with Jordan Rubin and Dr. Axe down there where you guys live. Oh, nice. On, on, on just sharing how important it is to be good stewards of our, our physical body. Because oh, it's the temple. Great. Yeah, nice. absolutely. All right. And the third one, what advice would you give to the younger John? The younger John, don't take things too seriously and know that God's going to get you to your destination. You don't have to help him get there. Love it. That's so good. Awesome. All right. Well, this book is out. People are going to get it. Uh, where can they get it? Where can they look you up? All that good stuff. You know, of course, you can get it at Target. You can get it at, you know, Amazon. It's an Audible. I read the whole thing. I've, you know, all that. But we've got a website, and it's called johnbevere.com. And basically, the reason I like that is because they'll get to see all the courses that are available. They'll get to see the mission of reaching, you know, over 41 million resources to pastors and leaders all over the world. And, you know, we'll get it to them just as quick at probably a greater price, a better price, I hope, than Amazon. I haven't checked it lately. But, you know, Amazon, it's so easy for people. I mean, it, it really is. And so I'm not going to try to fight Amazon. 
just, to, to me, I just want to see people get the message because this one, there's a guy on our team that he's read all 22 of my books because he does the workbooks for the courses that we do, right? And he said to me, John, by far, this is your absolute best book, he said, in my opinion. And then my son, my oldest son, Addison, who you had on the podcast, he said, Dad, I, I read the whole book in one sitting. Nice. I said, oh, oh, come on. It's 270 pages, Addison. And he goes, I had two bathroom breaks, but no, I, I he said, Dad, I love this book. There are things in this book, Dad, that I've never heard you tell me. He said, I was so engaged. And so the cool. people that have read it have said they they really are getting impacted. So I really think this is like another Beta Satan book, honestly. I think this is really, really going to turn the tide for a lot of people. That's so awesome. So did that guy who writes your curriculum tell you what your worst book was? <laughs> <laughs> this was not. my least favorite. This was... <laughs> Gosh, really, well, my least favorite is, but I'm not going. Yeah, to. we'll just leave that alone. <laughs> they're all great. That's, yeah. like, that's like saying, which is your least fi- favorite child? Because yeah. totally. like a child, you feel like you birthed a child, right? Right. Yes. Oh man. Well, cool. John, thank you so much. We'll link to all that in the show notes. Thank you so much for being here, and thank you for all that you guys do and the impact you have had in our life and so many other people's lives. It was a real pleasure. You guys are beautiful together. Thank, thank you. Keep it up. I'm so proud, and I'm cheering you both on. Oh, Thanks. thank you so much. Guys, thank you so much for listening. We hope this episode blessed you, and we'd love to hear from you. Take a minute, leave us a review on iTunes, hit us up on our website, letsliveitwell.com, or come find us on social media. We love hearing how these conversations are speaking to you. Also, you can find all the info for today's episode, all the books and links mentioned in our show notes over at our website, letsliveitwell.com. Well, that's a wrap for today's episode. We're going to close this show out like we always do. Remember, you only get one life. Live Live it well. well.